You're listening to BKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kierstead. Let's get the latest in New Hampshire government news with our friends at the New Hampshire Bulletin. Get their articles at NewHampshireBulletin.com. They join WKXL in the morning every Friday, and this week I'm joined by reporter Ethan DeWitt. Welcome back. Glad to be back. So you had an article that was released on funding for school lunches. This has been a very interesting thing that's developed in light of COVID is uh, just across the board funding for for school lunches at basically all districts across the state. But that obviously comes with a tremendous expense to school districts that are already strapped for cash. I mean, what's going on with increasing the funding? Yeah, so essentially uh, it's not so much a money thing as it is a supply chain thing. And this has been going on through 2021, uh, especially as schools got out of remote learning the end of last school year and we're going back into person uh, and you know suddenly needing to provide a lot more um, lunches. Uh, the supply chain problems that have affected kind of everywhere else and grocery stores have also affected those schools. Uh, and the way it works is you have food service directors in, in schools who are having to plan menus, but then not really, uh, you know, without the certainty that everything will be on the delivery truck every week, um, it's, they have to plan for contingencies. And I, I have done some reporting on this in the past months. Um, you know, back in the fall, it got to be where you just, they wouldn't know where what would arrive on the truck. One um, woman, one food service director told me that one time the only meat that arrived was pulled pork. Like no other meat oh my gosh. Uh, was allowed, uh, you know, w- w- arrive in the, on the truck. And so you can order something, but it might not arrive. So you have to start stockpiling. I think the common technique was to stockpile hot dogs and hamburgers because you can freeze them. Um, but this has been an ongoing issue. Uh, it certainly hasn't gotten any uh, easier uh, in, the, in the last few months, um, you know, especially uh, with inflation, with supply chain issues continuing with uh, the Russia-Ukraine war, uh, you know, driving up food prices, grain prices, et cetera. So this is something that is going to persist. Um, and the USDA um, announced uh, a, a program to try to help with that, essentially to, uh, to reimburse school districts and give them kind of grants um, to, because some of them have uh, you know, had to buy more expensive food um, to deal with this. So New Hampshire finally got its money um, approved. Uh, yesterday, uh, Wednesday, I should say, uh, in the executive council uh, for $2.8 million. And that's going to be spread a- among the schools um, to try to help this. You're going to burn through that quick, I bet. I mean, it's a, unfortunately we're getting kind of close to the end of the year, but I mean, we still got April, May, and a good part of June. I mean, basically there's three more, three more months left of the school year. I mean, they're going to burn through that quick. Uh, is there any, any talk about other ways to work around this? Um, I haven't heard of any talk, at least in terms of federal money uh, or state assistance, um, but uh, you're right that they are going to burn through it. I would talk to Commissioner, Commissioner Frank Edelblut of the Department of Education yesterday, and he told me that uh, they're not expecting this money to last very long. And, it, and you know, every, every district's going to get a base amount, $5,000, but then the, the rest of it will be sort of dependent on how many kids they have and, and uh, you know, how much they participate in the existing federal lunch programs. Um, but he doesn't expect it to, to he expects it to, to pretty much be worked through very quickly. Um, and so what comes next, uh, I mean, again, it's sort of anyone's guess as to where the economy is going. Uh, but this, I would imagine this would continue to be an issue uh, for certain districts um, well into the start of next year and potentially even even longer as they try to adjust for this. Yeah, I mean, they're going to have, they have the same problems as you go to the grocery store. It's 
it, it makes it's kind of mildly entertaining in a sick way when I go to the grocery store and uh, I tend to go to Market Basket and they've filled the whole cat food aisle with uh, pumpkin because they had tons of excess cans and they just filled it. You can only imagine what it's like for these poor, poor uh, uh, school cafeteria workers that are trying to put a menu together that is somewhat uh, wholesome for the kids and got it, uh, pulled pork doesn't stretch that far. Yeah, and the other thing is, so there are actual nutritional requirements yeah. for a lot of these foods, things that people may not realize. Um, I think one thing that I, w- I was surprised to hear, there's a lot of whole grain requirements. So so for chicken nuggets, there actually, um, there, there used to be requirements that certain chicken nuggets had 51% whole grains. Now that's obviously much harder to uh, accomplish when you have food shortages. So the, the federal government has actually been offering waivers to schools on these nutritional requirements for the last year. So that's, that's you know, helped marginally. Uh, it's obviously still hard to get food in, at all, let alone you know food that that meets those requirements. But the schools are not sure how long those waivers are going to last. So you know, again, I, we're just going to have to see how the rest of the school year plays out and into next year. Yeah, and just in, inside baseball, I mean, are, is it looking like they're going to be continuing with supporting uh, school lunches just being for free for the for the students? No, that I mean, there is no indication right now that the Biden administration is going to extend that. Um, but that obviously could also change. I guess uh, that's another thing to change. And, you know, to go even more inside baseball, as you put it, that affects funding. Um, and I've done some reporting on this. Basically, the primary way that school that we de- that we determine which schools have more lower income children is by measuring how many students um, apply for and, and receive free and reduced price lunches. And so one of the sort of negative externalities that came out of making school lunches free, which was you know done with, with very good intentions and, and for very good reason throughout the pandemic, was that um, there was no longer any incentive for families to sign up for free or reduced price lunch because everybody was getting lunches for free. So this is that's been an ongoing budgeting problem um, that uh, you know, school districts um, initially struggled to actually present an accurate count of how many students they had that needed these lunches and thus how much additional um, aid funding they should get. Um, and the legislature has responded to that by basically funding the schools at the levels before the, of attendance they were at before the pandemic. But again, when, you know, when that, uh, those free lunches end, uh, you know, there's going to be some adjustments for sure. Continuing our conversation around education, it looks like the state lawmakers are trying to make some changes to the Education Freedom Counts uh, legislation divisive concepts law. Uh, let's start off with Education Freedom Accounts. What's going on with adjustments they're trying to do with that? Yeah, so this is, um, you know, the last year the House um, passed the Education Freedom Account um, bill, which allows for parents to tap into the state money that would go to their schools. They can now use it for homeschooling. Um, or for private education, as long as they fall um, below a, a certain income requirement, um, which is 300% of the federal property line. So that program passed last year. This year, um, Democrats are trying to either chip away at it or restrain it or repeal it entirely. Um, they've fielded um, a number of bills, many of which were taken up last week, um, that seek to uh, either provide oversight um, or sort of um, you know, change how, who administers? There's, there was one bill that would that would make it so that the Department of Education would have to administer these, and not the um, private nonprofit scholarship fund that is currently uh, administering them. And 
you know, all of those uh, attempts failed. Uh, Republicans more or less have defended this this and, and, and said there isn't really much that needs to be improved. Uh, and, and they've also said that it's too early on to know yeah. uh, where this program's going. So Yeah, it hasn't been around very long. It seems like there's just a crazy amount of people that are taking the state up on this opportunity and going to, to other schools. It's and it's really if you really look into what what the opportunities are with this program is they're extensive. There's a lot of different th- types of schools that you can utilize this. I had a conversation with uh, uh, Sarah. I can't spacing her last name from America Americans for Prosperity. Um, yell at me for being a Coke brother supporter. I don't care. It was it was an entertaining talk. I don't care what side of the aisle you're on. It's you can listen to the New England Take podcast feed. Um, it. It's looking to revolutionize education in a really hard spot when public education really is having a hard time doing it. So um, if Democrats push too hard, they're going to really get some some real troubles come November. Yeah, I th- it, it's going to be very interesting to see how this plays. Obviously, there's there's a uh, there's a lot of support from the parents who have signed up. There have been eighteen hundred <laughs> students who have signed up, um, and uh, this is something that you know will continue because once you sign up, you are guaranteed under the under the laws that is now to receive these grants uh, until you until your child graduates um, or turns twenty one. Uh, and so there's obviously been support there. Um, Democrats are raising alarms over uh, the, the amount of spending that uh, this incurs. Um, you know, it's, it's taken, uh, it's become, I think it's it's gone through $8 million so far. Uh, and again, anybody who is in the program then gets it. So every year, if more families sign up, um, it could grow. But then the governor and, and the commissioner um, of education, um, Frank Edelblit, have pointed out that, you know, the state is in a very good financial position right now has strong surpluses that they're not worried uh, right now. But that's sort of where the debate kind of lies. The next phase of the debate, I think when it comes to its popularity, I think Democrats are still fielding bills to repeal entirely. And that bill was struck down last week. So obviously that's still their intention. Uh, But they are also kind of recognizing that, okay, this is likely a program that's here to stay at least for the next year or two. So some of their other efforts have been to be, been along the lines of how can we work with this and then kind of restrain it. And so it's been interesting to see the different attempts they've had, and obviously none of them have been successful. Lots of propaganda. <laughs> I'm seeing the Facebook ads and Twitter ads when it comes to it. Like you see the the NEA, for example, is doing was doing a pretty aggressive uh, social media push against it and everything. And I I mean personally, as a as a father who's got a, a kid in second grade, like I my kid's off in public school. Like I'm I'm not taking advantage of it because I'm very fortunate to be in the Concord School District, which is which is great, and he's got a good selection of teachers over there. But not not all schools have, or not all parents are happy with what certain schools in their district are offering, and this kind of gives them a little bit of flexibility. And most people can't afford to send their kids to private school. It, it, it's very expensive to go to a, a private school, and I've seen various Democrats especially saying, um, that well, if you want to do it, just send your kid to it. You can pay for it out of pocket, however you want. And like, it costs tens of thousands of dollars to do that for for most most families, and that's that's not a viable option. Yeah, and yeah, this really strikes at the heart of kind of the debate over the direction of education and where it should go. Um, and you know, that's why these 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 bills will be perpetual um, back and forth on this. But I think what's interesting is, as I said before, where is this program going? And do Democrats uh, feel like they can repeal it and feel like they have the support, you know, feel like there would be there wouldn't be backlash if they tried to repeal it, if they regain power? That's something we'll see 
play out in the election um, cycle this year. What's going on with pushes against the divisive concepts legislation? Quote divisive concepts, I should say. Sure, right. So uh, this has sort of become the shorthand that uh, mostly Democrats um, have uh, used to describe the law that passed last year. This law restricts teachers from uh, teaching certain uh, ideas, concepts uh, for promoting the idea that, um, you know, it, it, one race or, or gender or class is advantaged over another one, um, that anybody is inherently um, uh, racist or, um, or, or discriminatory against another class. Um, and th these are broad categories, but, um, you know, we've talked about this a lot, uh, you know, this law a lot. So Democrats and, and uh, you know, school representatives, public school advocates are uh, argue that the law was too vaguely written and that the punishment, potential punishments for teachers are too strong. And so last week you saw uh, a lot of bills to try to rein that program in or, or, uh, or even repeal it. So again, it's another example of Democrats on the one hand would like to repeal this law, just like they would like to repeal the education freedom account law. So they, and they have put in bills to directly do that, but they've also put in bills that, uh, you know, try to work within the law and try to, you know, uh, adjust it around the edges. And so, you know, you can read into that, um, you know, any, any number of ways. Um, but I think they're, they're, I think in year two of this, it's, you know, the, they're on offense, Democrats and, and Republicans are on defense, but Republicans have the, the numbers here. So, you know, there were some attempts, um, one of which would have required uh, a bill would have required fa that families take their grievances. If they have a teacher that they think was teaching something that falls afoul of this law, take their grievances to their teacher superintendent before going to court under the law right now, they can go directly to court or to the, the state's commission for human rights. Um, and so that was struck down um, because Republicans said that that would be too laborious um, and you know, but there are other attempts to exp expand this this law that Republicans actually didn't have support for. Um, one of one of them, one bill would extend it to public colleges and universities, and that was actually uh, shelved. Uh, it was uh, put into interim study last week. And there was another bill that uh, got a lot of attention because it amended a Cold War era um, statute we have called the Teachers Loyalty Statute, mm -hmm. and it uh, barred teachers from advocating for socialism and other philosophies, that bill was outright killed. So I think there is a, an understanding from Republicans, too, that we don't want to push it too far in, in any direction either. Um, and we're not going to we don't have an appetite right now to expand this law. And that teacher loyalty bill was nuts. It was I mean, even the person who originally drafted said, I don't really know what this is, what I want this Entail, but I want this to happen. That never seemed to really get much clarification, even at committee. I was surprised. Yeah. Um, so, so the the advocates of that bill, um, you know, said that they needed more time, and the sponsor of the bill said she needed more time. But from the get go, that bill uh, got a lot of negative attention and uh, was. It wasn't really clear if the way it came out was the way that the sponsor originally intended it, and there were all these amendments. So um, that bill is dead right now. Uh, might come back, might not. We'll see kind of what the climate is next year. I just want to briefly bring up, you wrote an article about the uh, state is launching a federally funded program to help struggling homeowners. Uh, just uh, give a couple minutes on that. 
Sure. So this is a $40 million um, program and it has, it's using federal money that was approved last year, but because of the state um, approval process, it has to go through a few committees. Um, it only this week, the money was, was allowed to be released, but essentially it allows for up to $20,000 in aid for property related expenses if you're a homeowner. Um, and that can include um, um, paying mortgages uh, and it can also in include property tax uh, payments. Um, and uh, so the idea is, you know, there are a lot of people who are struggling right now who, um, who haven't been helped by some of the other programs that the state has has put through using federal money, and this is sort of the first time. Um, it's twenty thousand dollars maximum, and uh, the New Hampshire um, um, Housing Finance Authority, which is distributing this, expects that money to go very fast. Yeah, that's a lot of a lot of money per household. I mean, that, that and but on the other hand, I mean that is would be extremely helpful. It seems like there is a lot of support for renters and such, and people with very very low income. And this kind of meets somewhere in the middle and uh, hits a lot of fam is probably going to help a lot of families that are really desperate right now. Yeah, and it it to be clear, it um, applies only to homeowners whose incomes are less than one hundred twenty five percent of their area median income, which obviously is going to vary. Um, and it also only applies to property owners who experience a disruption to their income as a result of the pandemic. Uh, and you know, I, I interviewed the executive director of the New Hampshire Ho um, Housing Finance Authority, which is administering this. And he was pointing to scenarios where, uh, you know, if you fall behind on your property taxes um, a, a, enough times, the town can actually put a lien on your property and you can lose your house. That's, that's one way, you know, people often think about mortgages in the bank reclaiming the house, but actually um, towns can do that too if somebody is, is delinquent for that long. So this is meant to kind of be, you know, Again, twenty thousand um, dollars could go a long way for a lot of families. Um, there's also some up to three thousand dollars in utility payments can be reclaimed, um, and that can include internet and um, you know electric and heating. So uh, again, this launched uh, this week, and it's just like the school lunch program. Um, state officials aren't expecting it to stick around long. So homehelpnh.org, if you're interested to learn more about that, I feel like that's an important uh, URL to get out there. It's homehelpnh.org. Thank you so much, Ethan, for joining me this week. So glad to be here. Ethan DeWitt, reporter over the New Hampshire Bulletin. Definitely get more from them at newhampshirebulletin.com. Also, they are on Twitter, Facebook, the whole nine yards. Uh, they, they do a lot of great journalism over there. Please give them a follow. You're listening to WKXL in the morning. I'm your host, AJ Kirstead.